The Man of Tomorrow is here for you, baby, and it is your Patreon or patron-only Wednesday Q&A. Now, why did I say patron-only and not necessarily Patreon? Well, we'll save that for another time. But regardless, a lot of interesting and actually really exciting stuff uh, going on for Sovereign Tech uh, that I... Well, anyway, I don't want to I don't want to talk about it because then, you know, that way when it happens, it happens and you get to be surprised and all as well. So we'll save it for uh, that. Got a, a couple of great, actually, three great quest, three great questions. <laughs> can the Golden Stallion talk today? Anyway, obviously, you know, speaking of talking, uh, you can tell I'm still on my webcam here for this Wednesday Q&A. Uh, but I we should be rocking out some different equipment here very soon and we'll get that nice nice uh you know melodious version of my voice out there again <laughs> so we'll see how that works out there's some stuff i want to test out uh just making some changes here and, and you know see how that how we can make that happen uh so just one last time do you need to worry about hearing uh the audio from the h6 though like i said during the sovereign tech prime episode this week uh you know, the audio is not like horrible. And I, and, and as I mentioned, there are podcasts that have audiences, you know, I mean, again, I'm in the five digits, but there's podcasts in the six or seven digits of listeners, perhaps. Of course, maybe if they're in the seven digits, they want, they don't want to call themselves podcasts, but regardless, um, they're out there and they, you know, I know that they do interviews or hell, they'll even do a whole like intro and a bunch of other stuff, sometimes talking for a good 30, 40 minutes where they're rocking off of, you know, pretty much the microphone in their iPhone or something like that. I mean, it's, it's insane. And almost, you know, if you're like a, really a professional, an audio professional of some kind, or, you know, an audio uh, expert or specialist, uh, it's kind of insulting or it feels it anyway. So, but they get along just fine. So what the hell, why can't I? Uh, but anyway, this should be the last time that I need to, at least for a while, uh, that I need to use the, the, uh, you know, not, not the H6, but actually use my, my, uh, my professional gaming webcam. Uh, again, it's made for, you know, audio and some streaming and all that, but, uh, regardless, anyway, you're not here to, you're not here to hear me talk about audio quality. You're here to listen to the questions. And, uh, we've got three great ones here that I'm going to try and get to all of them. Uh, a couple of them, are actually really responses either to last week's Wednesday Q&A. One is also a response to, uh, I guess, maybe this episode 313 of Sovereign Tech Prime, um, which I love getting your well-thought-out responses. I really do. Even if it's not necessarily so much of a question, um, I love getting your responses, and often I ask for them. In this case, I did ask for them. You know, people could tell me what they thought about uh, what we talked about. We'll get into it here in a second. Uh, but I love that, and I'm happy, especially um, to the patrons. I love to get your voice heard. You know, if you have thoughts, you want feedback, you want to get out there or something like that, uh, I'm happy to read it. I, I really am. So, and then also we have a we have a fun little question towards the end, and we got another. Uh, not, not as amazing of a album of the week as last week, but we have another, uh, album of the week to get into that I think is a, is a real treat. In fact, speaking of that, um, I'm not, I'm not going to get to it this week, but there is, I said last week during album of the week, I was like, I can't imagine what album could come out that could top, uh, last week we were talking about Beast in Black's latest release, which was, uh, From Hell with Love, a tremendous album. And I pretty much said is going to be album of the year, no matter what. Like, I don't, I just cannot imagine anything topping that sound. Uh, but then I found out that, well, not, but, but then I found out Queensryche because I had said, nobody's going to, you know, I don't know anybody who has an album lined up. That's going to, you know, that could even like attempt to best this, but Queensryche is going to be coming out with a new album on March 1st, uh, which I am really, really excited for. I've heard a couple tracks off of it. I think it's incredible. Um, of course, they don't have Jeff Tate anymore. That'll come up later on uh, in our album of the week this week. But uh, they have Todd Latore, who is just a sweetheart of a guy. I love Todd Latore. Uh, but Todd Latore is actually, he did the drums and the singing on this album, or at least on the recording of it. And I think, the is it The Reckoning is the album? Anyway, that's coming out March 1st. Uh, you know, but that's an album. The couple songs I heard are not at the level of what Beast in Black is putting out there. But, you know, if anybody could come out with an album of the year, certainly Queensryche, one of the greatest bands of all time, uh, could definitely do that. So anyway, we'll see what happens. That'll definitely be album of the week. Like, there's no way I'm not talking about Queensryche. 
granted, even if they don't have Jeff Tate, and you know, Jeff Tate's doing his own thing with his uh, band, his new band, quote unquote, Operation Mindcrime, which we actually talked about that. Queensryche came up last week, ironically, uh, which maybe is what got me thinking about it to look and find out, oh shit, they have a new album coming out. Um, but, uh, you know, they came up last week, we were talking about Beast in Black and how they spun out of uh, the great band Battle Beast. So anyway, we'll save, we'll, we'll talk more music during the album of the week, but just a little preview of what's coming up, uh, you know, in, in the coming weeks, uh, as well as later on in the show. So why don't we get into our first question here, because uh, it's a bit of a lengthy response, but that is, I say that with no disrespect, that is a great thing, because uh, I know you Sovereign Tech listeners are brilliant. Why? Because you listen to Sovereign Tech, especially when you're a patron, you know, you're supporting a real, a really, really independent viewpoint, whether you agree with it or not. Most people will agree at the very least that the golden stallion delivers a very, very, like there is nothing else like it out there. You know, you are hearing things you are not going to hear anywhere else. You're hearing opinions, ideas, uh, angles, takes that you just don't get anywhere else. And that's one of the reasons I love doing this show. So regardless, and I mean, look, I don't expect everybody to agree with me on everything. In fact, uh, they'd be kind of a kind of a boring world <laughs> in, a, in a way. Uh, I mean, there's some things I want people to agree with me, but agree with me on everything. Oh, please. No, no, not at all. So anyway, why don't we get into, uh, when we get into our first question here, and this is in reference to last week, we were talking about how Facebook had their, what is it? Project Atlas, which they were paying people between the ages. I forget what the youngest ages were, but it's from teenager to the age of 35. They were paying people $20 in gift cards to up to $20 in gift cards to use their Facebook research app. And which was effectively a VPN, which the VPN, you say, oh, no, but VPNs are good. No, no, no. VPN, this VPN was just sending all of your data, forwarding it all to Facebook proper. And fuck that, right? You know, that's not a good VPN in, in that sense. Uh, the idea of a VPN is to encrypt and protect and hide your web traffic and a lot of your data and, you know, whatever else uh, a VPN can do. And you know, the, like a, a VPN just sending all the data to Facebook is not doing that, right? <laughs> that, that's the, in fact, that's the antithesis of why you want to use a VPN. So we were talking about that and I made the point, I p- kind of put out the challenge and I said, you know, I'm going to reach out to some friends I still have at the Mises Institute. And I said, I was like, you know, I, I want, I want to hear from them the case of why are they still, you know, why are they still using Facebook? Do they think Facebook is a very good thing because it's a private company and blah, 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 you know, like what, what's their argument for Facebook if they have one? Okay. And, and I also put it to you, to the patrons. I said, you know, if you have thoughts on it, like, why do you, you know, you, if you want to make the argument for Facebook or if you just, whatever thoughts you have about Facebook and in, in relation to what I was talking about in uh, last week's Wednesday uh, Q and a, which this is Q and a number one thirty five, And I guess that would have been episode three thirty of uh, subscriber episode three thirty. So if you're looking for that, look for Q and a number one thirty four. Um, anyway, so got a response from a, a, a great patron, uh, someone that I just love. And, uh, anyway, I want to read his entire thing here and I will respond to it a bit where, where it matters. Um, but I'm also happy, like I said, during Wednesday Q and A's really, you know, if I don't have anything to add, uh, or if I just want to bolster your point, then that's what I'll do. And I'll read your point. And if you, you know, you got something brilliant to say, uh, I, again, I'm happy to give you a platform here. So again, this is content, you know, the patron content is for you. This is all, you know, in, in a very real way. I mean, there's stuff that I do for me, sure. But in a very real way, it's what you want. It's what you want to talk about, what you want me to talk about. And I put it out there. So here we go. Um, you mentioned that you'd like to, this is from, from the patron. You mentioned that you'd like to hear how Mises, uh, Mises fellows argue that Facebook is good. You'll surely find many who use it and like the marketing reach it has in the same way you yourself use Amazon and like the price range of products and convenience, despite going on tirades about them weekly, uh, using something and liking its benefits are a product of living practically and knowing what's available out there and what alternatives there are not about its values in a vacuum. Anyone from the Mises Institute who tell you who tells you Facebook is good is telling you their personal view. Okay, so I want to stop on that for a second. Um, I get this point, and it's it's a valid point to bring up. You know, because yes, do I still buy stuff from Amazon? Yep, absolutely, I do. And it, is it about you know living within in the way that you know within the system um, that you have right now? Sure. 
In fact, I'm really, I'm kind of reminded of the uh, classic Robert Heinlein quote, which again, I don't always agree with everything Heinlein says, but a lot of things that he has to say, I really do respect. Um, particularly, I love this quote, you know, I am free no matter what rules surround me. If I find them tolerable, I tolerate them. If I find them too obnoxious, I break them. I am free because I know that I alone am morally responsible for everything I do. And that really is kind of the credo of living uh, practically. Now, living practically and being pragmatic, I really think are actually two separate things, but in many ways that that's sort of a whole other conversation uh, really to get into. But yes, if what makes the most sense for you to achieve your goals, now that doesn't mean that does not mean that the ends justify the means. Okay. But if there are, you know, whatever means to, you know, is not as long as they're, again, everybody has, you know, different tolerances that fit within your tolerances. Okay. Uh, because again, you are, I mean, morality is kind of a joke, but whatever, you know, you're, you're responsible for what you do. Uh, if it fits within your tolerances, then you do it to get to your goals. Okay. Um, I mean, that, that's, that's at the very heart of egoism really. Okay. Regardless of what that, those goal or regardless of necessarily what maybe that, that is it to get there. But that's, again, that's not an argument for the ends justify the means because that is absolutely not always true. But now that said, I mean, you know, I just want to address this quick and I realize it's a very quick point that the patron's making here, but I just want to address this. The marketing aspect of Facebook, I think is dubious. Like, I, I think that, I mean, I could see where people would say that, well, I need to be on Facebook to do this marketing and all that. Um, I don't know that you actually get ROI on Facebook, like that, that on average, that there's a successful ROI. I have a very hard time believing, uh, I mean, and actually there's data to back that up. In fact, we've talked about this many times, Procter and Gamble, P and G, uh, they did, they put in lots of money into actual research as to whether or not they were getting any ROI. We're talking about one of the biggest companies with, you know, they could spend all the ad money they want in the world. If anybody has a chance of getting successful return on investment with their advertising on any platform, TV, whatever. Okay. Or, and certainly Facebook, if anybody had a chance, it would be Procter and Gamble. And they found out that they were getting no ROI whatsoever. In fact, it was like that, that Facebook's numbers were absolute bullshit. They were feeding them. And that basically Facebook Googled because they didn't just do Facebook. They did everybody. But basically that a lot of the internet companies, their marketing metrics were just pretty spreadsheets and there were, there was no actual ROI. Now, does that mean that it's always true? You know, if it's true for Procter and Gamble, that it's true for everyone? No, not always. But you know, anyone that's actually done any genuine research on the matter, uh, you know, it stands that the marketing value of being on Facebook is nil. Is it's it's actually nil? Unless I mean, but then of course, granted, everybody has different goals. If you're just trying to get, I don't know, twenty people to read your blog, read your blog post or something, okay, maybe Facebook could work for that. But as far as you know, turning you into something. Uh, or, you know, having some kind of substantial profit or something along those lines, that's very questionable, you know, whether or not that that actually even happens. Um, and especially a lot of things that people forget is that, well, you hear these success stories where, oh, I made $20 million through Facebook advertising, but they spent, they probably spent, you know, $19 million uh, I don't know, $900,000, like, in, in, or maybe even $950,000. And they, maybe they made 10,000 bucks off of the whole fair. Uh, they can claim that they made that much, but then what did they spend to actually achieve that? And it's probably bullshit. This is a reality for a lot of entrepreneur, uh, uh, like blogs and podcasts out there who are telling you, Oh, I did this, I did that. And then you find out that actually they're full of shit, uh, because really they only made a few thousand bucks, which you could say, maybe that's worth it. But the hustle to make 20 million, and then only make a few thousand bucks. I mean, it, it's, it's all just, there's, there's no resemblance of reality in any of that, uh, based upon what they're actually saying to you. So all of that is to say that the marketing aspects of using Facebook, I think are specious to say the least. Um, I mean, and, and if anything, there's research to suggest, no, it's just, it's downright not worthwhile. Uh, but I suppose in some ways that depends upon your goals. Okay. Uh, so reading on, here we go. Uh, let's see. Anarcho-capitalism has, which of course is what the Mises Institute generally espouses, uh, except for maybe fellows like Roger T. Long, who actually I you know, know would not speak well of Facebook. Uh, Anarcho-capitalism has no view on Facebook because it has no view on private companies as such. Privately held companies are obviously better than government-owned monopolies, but that doesn't make private companies good. 
Stanley breaking in? Bravo. Absolutely. Reading on. The way ANCAPs hate the military-industrial complex should indicate to you that the ANCAP does not think private companies are good by virtue of them being private and whatever free market straw man is thrown at them. No ANCAP thinks we live in a free market, especially not in the U.S. If private companies contribute to a violation of personal liberties, especially with government's assistance, they are very, very bad. Okay, so Stanley breaking in for a second. There's more here. Um, like so far, I'm following your argument. I agree that some very raw forms of anarcho-capitalism at a baseline do fall in line with what you're saying. Now, he's going to address that in a minute, but anyway, let me read on. Are there ANCAPs who are ignorant of Facebook's reach and actions? Of course. They're no different from any other segment of the population, and ignorance of these companies' modus operandi is widespread and unrelated to one's political opinions. So before finding that Mises scholar to bless Facebook, one needs to assess they know all the facts. If an ANCAP knew what Facebook does and how it operates, they would equate it to Lockheed Martin, J.P. Morgan, and other nefarious parasites. It would be a short discussion. Now, I want to stop there in a second, or for a second. Okay, so I get the point. Like, I I get what's being said there. Does the person have the knowledge of what's going on? Um, I mean, admittedly, sometimes I feel like, and you got to understand, do I look for tech news? I look for a very small niche in tech news. Okay, and I'm very particular knowing that news gets delivered often algorithmically, though not always, like the Google News app doesn't isn't supposed to be sending you stuff algorithmically anymore. Um, and you can see the difference, actually, when you log into the Google News app on your smartphone and or if you and instead you go to, like, say, the Google search, uh, you know, the cards that come up and everything. Notice that the Google search is still giving you what seem to be perhaps more relevant uh, news stories as to where the Google News app just seems to be giving you whatever. Uh, I mean, it might give you some relevance, but by and large, at first, it's just giving you, you know, raw dog news, uh, no algorithm applied. And, and you do, I, at least personally, I feel like I've noticed that shift already. Um, regardless of that. Okay. So because I know that I get fed stuff algorithmically, I like to know, wait a minute, what does, what does Google send people normally? What does it send them? You know, just, just if somebody didn't log in or whatever, and they just pushed out news to them, what would come up as like the hottest thing. And Facebook is at the top of the list for a lot of this stuff. And, and that's, that's kind of my concern is that if one looks at the news at all, and I barely look at the news, if one, except for my niche, if one looks at the news at all, Facebook is plastered. On this now, the reason for that being, of course, or in my opinion, is because there is some kind of. I mean, fuck Facebook, of course. I'm not arguing for them or telling you to feel bad for them at all. Absolutely not. You know, if that company tanked today, that'd be phenomenal. I'd be happy. You know, I'd be dancing in the streets, even if it's you know like Ice Planet Zero, like it is right now in, in New Hampshire. Okay, but uh, the, I think that the you know, Washington machine, the Washington DC machine is really trying to keep Mark Zuckerberg from having political ambitions because I firmly believe that he was, I mean, and maybe it's still going to happen though. Now, I mean, he's so, you know, (laughs) it's so ugly, uh, you know, what Facebook, the muck that Facebook is going through in the mainstream media that, you know, I thought that Zuckerberg was going to run for president in 2020. That might not happen now, or at least some kind of political office that might not happen at all because he's just in too much damage control right now. Uh, I mean, we'll see, you know, what, what happens there, but I think that's, that's part of the reason why this is happening. But the bottom line is, is that, you know, Facebook is really getting very openly raked through the coals and I don't know how anyone couldn't know about it. And all you need is the Cambridge Analytica story, the VPN story, and a lot of others. I mean, maybe you don't have an exact understanding of the technology to where that this is infringing upon a personal liberty. Maybe. Um, I, I guess I could see that, but I agree with, I agree with the, the patron's point that, you know, the person has to actually have knowledge that this, you know, these atrocities or these uh, tramplings upon personal liberties are even happening in the first place. Sure. So, you know, I would make my case with them and we would see what they'd say. Uh, ironically, I have heard from very, very prominent and well-known ANCAPs, one that is one, in fact, one guy who I don't know if I should mention his name. Uh, I'll just, his initials are ES. Okay. That's, that's what I'm going to give you. He has written books, a couple of books actually that are 
probably the most bold visions of an anarcho-capitalist future um, out there. He, he, as far as I know, he's only written two. Uh, but I was at, I was actually at a party and talking with him, and he, you know, came right out and said, "No, I love J.P. Morgan." I mean, and he wasn't kidding. Now, I, I think he likes to, uh, much like some other Mises fellows, I think he likes to, uh, you know, <laughs> he likes to stoke fire a little bit. Okay. And, you know, be a little, uh, you know, have some hot takes maybe and, and, you know, be, be a little incendiary. All right. And just say things for shock value. I could certainly believe that he does, but he was very clear that, that he actually, you know, liked J.P. Morgan. Uh, again, I think he maybe that's a good way for him to to stand out in a crowd, say at, a, at some kind of libertarian gathering or something like that. But uh, but you know he did come right out and say that. Now, like this like this patron is saying, is that just him sharing his personal opinion? Yes, but then at the same time, um, he is one of those guys that is coming out and laying out how, with a couple of his books, how an ANCAP world, how an AN, you know ANCAPistan would effectively work out what this would look like. And the JP Morgan model would be a part of that. Now, I mean, he'd have to explain more and you'd have to ask him, well, what do you mean by that? That you love JP Morgan. And that's probably his way to get over his otherwise, you know, really like uh, socially awkward moments. And it's an icebreaker. Okay, whatever. You know, I, I, I get it that you got to have some kind of trick up your sleeve to talk to normal people. Um, but that's, that's what he does. <laughs> so, and so maybe you'd say, oh, well, there's just certain parts of it and I don't necessarily like these parts. But I would be remiss if I said that, you know, like, I mean, I, I, honestly, I, I think it's ridiculous to in any way, shape or form say, no, I like J.P. Morgan Chase. Like, I don't care who you are. You shouldn't be saying that if you believe in any kind of personal liberties. Uh, but whatever, that's one person, maybe not representative of an entire uh, ideology. And, and really what this ideology means at base level is what this patron's bringing up. So let's keep reading. Um, are there, yeah, anyway, we've talked about how they're ignorant of Facebook's reach and action. Sure. Okay. Reading on. But even if all Facebook activity was in the terms of service and you had someone say that, quote, you signed the contract, so it's fine to do all that bullshit, end quote, even when, even then, anarcho-capitalism as a school of thought does not concern itself with labeling things good. The farthest it goes is asking the question, quote, is there a right for someone to use coercive violence against this entity? And if so, who and to what extent, end quote. And I get the confusion, quote, but Hoppe has tons of examples where he says this is good and that is bad, end quote. Hoppe is an ANCAP, no doubt, but not all he writes is pure anarcho-capitalism. He is just as much a thick libertarian as others he fights on the left, only he is a right-wing, socially conservative, nutjob, thick libertarian. When he says X is good, he's talking from a thick libertarian standpoint, bringing in his arguably archaic social views. Anarcho-capitalism is not a social school of thought dictating how things should be. Rather, it's a way to lay the foundations of when it's appropriate to introduce violence into the mix and restrict another entity's right to operate. If Facebook violates the non-aggression principle, then there, then the, the answer is simply Simple, and the ANCAP position is that it is bad. If, big if, Facebook does not violate the non-aggression principle and all, all it contributes to is the decay of society and loss of privacy while being completely transparent about what it's doing in, terms of its, in, in its terms of service, then the ANCAP position is that this company should be allowed to continue existing and if its side effects are as bad as you say they are, people will find better solutions and stop using F, uh, Facebook. Now, I'm standing breaking in again on that. And of course we know, I mean, like that, I understand the point that he's bringing up. It's a valid point, but of course, Facebook is not on the up and up about what they're doing. Um, and I want to talk more about terms of service here in a minute, and we will. Anyway, reading on. The ANCAP, in this case, would argue that you shouldn't use government force to shut it down. That does not imply that the ANCAP views it as good. It's like granting someone freedom of speech without agreeing uh, with what they're saying. The whole point of a nanny state is to protect us because we don't know what's good for us. Quote, Facebook is bad for us, therefore we need a nanny state to come in and shut them down, end quote, is a flawed argument from an ANCAP perspective. But that doesn't mean it doesn't need to be shut down. It's just the wrong reason for for it to be uh, for it to be shut down. If it violates the NAP, it should be shut down for that reason. If it doesn't violate it, and people are just stupid to use it and don't read the EULA, then think of it think of it what you want. I.e., it's neither good nor bad, but it has a right to continue operating. If you find someone from Mises to say that Facebook is good, quote quote, uh, or concludes without pointing out the nuances I noted above, 
doesn't know what they're talking about. I'd pay good money to argue the point with them on your podcast and show them that they don't know what anarcho-capitalism stands for. Okay, and that's that's that. So speaking of, all right, there's a few different things I want to talk about here. First off, brilliant, whether I agree with it 100% or not. Um, that, that's just a, a brilliant layout and response to what I had said. And I have all the respect in the world for that. So we'll put that out there. And I respect this person personally, uh, full disclosure. So anyway, um, okay. I want to talk about the term service. Then I want to talk about a little ANCAPism and then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll break on from that. Um, the terms of service. So this is, this is where I get really, this is where me and contracts have a real problem. Okay. Because a lot of times these, and everybody knows this, the terms of service, even if they do say it out loud, Hey, it's in the terms of service. You know, we told you that we would do this, blah, blah, blah. Those terms of service are specifically designed to our our terms of service are often enough our contracts, especially from say a company. Okay. I won't even use multinational. I won't even use corporation. I won't use any of those terms. Okay. Because all that comes with a lot of, a lot of loaded baggage. All right. We'll just say a company, a terms of service is designed to protect who or a contract often enough. This isn't always true, but by and large, especially in the world that we live in today, again, we're talking about living practically. Why do people still use Facebook? Okay. That's kind of like where this all started from. That's where this argument all started from. Who is the contract designed to protect the user, the consumer, you know, user slash consumer or the company it's designed to protect the company. That's kind of rub number one. Okay. That that's, that that's automatically where we're like, well, yeah. Okay. The company can say it in the terms of service, but is that terms of service user facing or company facing? And that's a big problem. There is that it is designed the language, the very careful language, the institution of lawyers and whoever the fuck ups else, you know, was creating this contract is specifically designed not to protect the consumer. It is designed to protect the company. So it's already point one against the consumer right there or against the user right there. You know, like it, the rules are already being set in opposition to you. That should be a problem in and of itself. I'm not going to get into, you know, a huge conversation around contracts. I've talked about it so many times. At some point on the user podcast, we will talk about the problems of contracts. I will get into that and I will talk about it then. But this is one of the major issues with contracts is that by and large, they are designed, they are not, they, they're even, especially today, but even in arguments, especially from that guy ES that I mentioned earlier, aren't even designed to protect both parties. They're not. They are often enough set up to protect only one side. And, you know, you could say that's the nature of like trying to protect yourself from default risk. I understand that. But there are other ways to do that than contracts to solve the issue of default risk. Okay. Um, and well, anyway, that's, that's a whole other conversation to, you know, to be had there. Uh, so the terms of service, um, like I, I think that those honestly don't really hold up. I guess, I mean, dare I say, if a user, okay, uh, who, who agreed, you know, they said, I agree, which tried to even, you know, like, like Ernie Hancock could bring up all the time where he'd say, you know, can you even use the thing if you don't say I agree? Oh, no, you can't. So what the fuck do you do? Right. Talking about living practically. I think terms of service and the EULA, I mean, you might as well just, you know, crumple those babies up if they were actual paper and just toss them in the wastebasket. They have no bearing whatsoever on the reality of the situation because, Facebook as a company, provably with Cambridge Analytica and more, don't give a shit. I mean, or maybe they could say that there's like this one line in there that says, oh, we're allowed to do that. Uh, But I think with some of these uh, data leaks or, uh, you know, selling off to third parties that has come out, um, there has been points where it's it's being argued right now in class action suits uh, that, you know, wow, you, you broke your own terms of service course, that's all going to get broken down to how do you interpret the language that's even in them? Uh, so that's a whole other situation. But then that's me kind of arguing for how things should be, perhaps personal opinion, right? And that's kind of one of the issues, you know, at hand here. Now, I can, I can really grasp, and I have a lot of uh, acquaintances, uh, maybe even friends who, you know, identify, self-identify as ANCAPs. 
and they would agree with this patron's assessment of what anarcho-capitalism actually means. They would say, yeah, no, this is it. This is all that it's addressing. It's, it's not saying necessarily how things should be. It's saying, you know, when, when does, you know, the non-aggression principle and when does the initiation of force, uh, you know, come into play and so on. Um, so if that's, if that's all anarcho-capitalism was, okay, we, we, and, I'm not saying that it isn't. I, I just think that that's one interpretation. And like he mentioned, thick libertarians and all this, there, there are people who have other interpretations and those people who have other interpretations have very loud mouths and very, by relatively large audiences. Okay. By comparison, perhaps to other ANCAPs, right? And part of the reason that they do that is because I think, sadly, this is kind of getting into another conversation. I think, sadly, there are a lot of people, and ironically, these are people who claim to be anarchists or anarcho-capitalists or something like that, who want to be told what to do. I wish that wasn't the case. Um, the idea of like you know living in a uh, uh, an egoist age, as they would call it, you know, kind of like uh, Max Stirner talks about these different ages of humanity, and you know the egoist epoch. He would actually use the word epoch. Living in an egoist epoch is where people are their, you know, affect in many ways their own lord and master of themselves. And they don't bother to, you know, like they're not looking for other people to tell them how they should live and how things should be and so on. But I think that there's a lot of people who, th who think that way, or maybe they don't want to think about it and they want to worry about their own shit, running their business or doing whatever. But there are people who will listen to other luminaries within, you know, Mises fellows and so on, who uh, want to hear from them how they think things should be. I know that there are people that do that with me. And I understand that I, I have tried for years to keep that from being the case to say, please think for yourselves, do your own research here. I'll put it all in the show notes for you to be able to do your own research. Uh, you know, don't just trust me. Okay. Like, like look into it for yourself and, you know, check in with yourself on what I'm saying and so on. But I think that there are a lot of people within, within, you know, libertarianism slash anarcho-capitalism. I know those can be two different things that uh, are just looking for someone to tell them how things need to work, you know? And will will humanity always be that way? Maybe there's a portion that will always be that way. And that's part of why I think that there will always be governments. Like there's just, you know, you're never going, I've said this so many times over the years, you are not going to have, we're not going to have an anarchist planet Earth. It's just not going to happen. Okay, because there are people like that. And these people exist even within the, the uh, identifiers right? The terms, the ideologies that supposedly don't look for how things should be like say anarchists, libertarians, anarcho-capitalists, and so on. Um, so yeah, you know, I'm not very hopeful, <laughs> I guess not feeling hopeful that, that there will, that people, uh, especially within these groups, again, I mean, they're just, it, it's admittedly, and I've, I've tried to say this many times, it's always the loud mouths, right? that get any kind of credit. In fact, I mean, that's an old saying, right? You know, uh, the quiet ones change the universe, the loud ones just take the credit. And, you know, it's, it's these loud mouths, maybe some Mises fellows, maybe some others who, you know, they say, I think things should be this way. And then they get, I don't know, however many people who say, yeah, oh, you're right. I'm going to buy your book and, and whatever bullshit. And, you know, and that, and that goes forward. Now it becomes the question of, Okay, but is that person like actually representing the entire ideology? Depends who you ask. You know, there are people who say, oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, he's, you know, you know I agree with him, a fine person and all this stuff. And, and it's almost the, the byproduct of even ironically full circle, like of using Facebook is to create kind of this, like this following, you know, of your work. And, and the rub is, is that you have to, I feel like an author, you know, anarcho-capitalist or almost any anarchist, an author has to sort of write a book that talks about how things should be. Um, or at the very least, they're coming at it from the negative should be as in, okay, this is how things are. This is not okay. So in a way, they're kind of saying how it should be, but you have to write that kind of book. Otherwise, there's no more books to write about anarcho-capitalism. And I would dare say, even if I were, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, I don't consider myself an anarcho-capitalist at all, but you know, what is it? Man, the power of the state, whatever it's, shit's been written by Rothbard. Okay. Human action's been written. Praxeology is already set in stone. There's no more to write, but these people keep writing shit. 
<laughs> so, and, and, but I think the only way that they can is if they get into the game of how things should be. And so then it becomes a question of, okay, so what's raw anarcho-capitalism? I just, I don't think you're going to get many people who will just, you know, agree with what raw anarcho-capitalism is. You get a lot of people who want to buy into, oh, this is how it should be. This is, this is blah, blah, blah. So I agree with what, what the patron's saying here is that anybody going beyond the baseline and cap, you know, position is just saying they're sharing their own personal views. The thing is, is those personal views often get so loud and these people get so venerated by other people that are loud, even if they're not like the actual author of a book or if they're not, you know, this, this, uh, this influencer on social media or something like that, uh, that, you know, to the world outside, even outside looking in or even inside looking in, it looks like, well, this is the position of ANCAPs. Like they, they think that there needs to be covenant communities and that, uh, you can kick out, you know, this, this group and this group and this group. And and it's just, you know, it's, it's insane. Um, so again, I, I get the point of what you're saying. And I think, you know, anybody really honest at the Mises Institute would probably say that maybe they don't know that the, that Facebook marketing doesn't work and so on, but I really feel like it's getting to the point of pure obviousness of just how egregious Facebook is trampling on, uh, I mean, it's not just about privacy. I mean, privacy turns into issues of safety, turns into, I mean, all kinds of, of, you know, really, really concerning issues. Okay. Um, I, I just, I, I, I can't believe it. I mean, and to say like, look, you know, so many, and this is a point I've been trying to make up or make on sovereign tech for a while. So many of these tech giants, they're government institutions now. You know, and even if you could say, well, I actually like this president instead of this president or blah, blah, blah. I mean, you know, you're going to hand over, you know, be, what's the old saying? Be careful who you hand a gun to because you don't know where they're going to point it. You know, the next guy gets in and who knows what the hell that person's going to do with that power. And so you don't hand it to anybody. <laughs> I mean, I, you know, I, I get it. I get it. Like, I mean, I have to, you know, I have to use Google Docs. I have to use, you know, certain uh, organizations that I work with. You have to use, you know, you have to have a GDoc account and so on. I understand the arguments from practicality, but I personally, not, not just personally, I think objectively, it is getting to the point that Facebook, perhaps more so than any other tech giant, is absolutely trampling all over your human liberties as an organization. It's time for it to go and die. Okay. Or at least, I mean, understand also the other problem is that these companies get so fucking huge. Like you get civil wars within these companies. You know, it's like there's multiple aspects of these companies. Okay. Like there's multiple companies within one company and Facebook has very much become much like alphabet to Google and YouTube. Facebook is very much like a parent company over a lot of different things. Like Facebook is really a parent company over facebook.com. It's a parent company over Instagram, even though, you know, now it appears there's some motions to kind of like bring all that together. It's a parent company over Oculus, right? And, you know, maybe these companies just need to spin out again, re-spin out somehow. Okay. So, but, but Facebook proper as this giant company that is like, you know, collecting from all these different sources, so much of your data, it's, it's got to go. Okay. Now I'm not, I'm not inciting for violence by any stretch of the imagination. And that's the thing too, is that all I'm telling people is delete your fucking account. <laughs> you know, I'm not even, I'm not even saying that, that we, you know, anyone needs to get involved or anything like that. Um, just delete your account because it, at the very least, even if you don't want to believe that somehow, I mean, I'm not one for the non-aggression principle, whatever. If you don't think that they're breaking the non-aggression principle, it is certainly doing more harm than good. And any good that it does, I think is, is also very much up to date, up to debate and is very specious. So, you know, I mean, yeah, maybe if I informed some of these Mises fellows, maybe they would feel differently about it, or maybe they'd come at me with an argument from pragmatism. I don't know. I'd still like to do it. Uh, but yeah, maybe they won't come out and just say, oh, this is good and this is bad. But at least, I mean, the patron admitted, yes, there are writers out there that absolutely engage in that. The thing is, is those writers have so much pull and sway within the quote unquote movement that it gets laid out as, well, this is canon and law right? Ironically. I mean, I'm using those terms ironically, but you get my point. So those are, that's, 
that's a problem that, that speaks to a much bigger problem around all of that. Um, but yeah, I understand that baseline, what anarcho-capitalism is. The thing is, is that a lot of people espousing it, a lot of the loudmouths are not just espousing the baseline anymore. And I think often they're just doing that because they got to sell their books, you know, and they can't, you know, you, you can't, you can't improve much upon what Murray Rothbard was saying, if you're into the whole ANCAP space. Um, you know, I mean, for me, with, you know, my brand of anarchism, of course, you know, I've called myself Negoist Anarchism for years. Uh, Max Stirner, I've said there's, you know, you can update Max Stirner's works, but really all I mean by that is, is that his book is some odd 200 years old. Okay, the English language itself has changed from that. There has been uh, updates in science, okay, that are important and have weight upon what's being said. I don't think there's necessarily updates in science, okay, like biology or, you know, updates within like biology and some other things I don't think are really going to change the baseline, you know, anarcho-capitalist position. It's where I do think there are things within biology that absolutely would update and make more relevant, not change, but just update and make more relevant to today, uh, you know, the works that were put into the ego in its own by Max Stirner. So that's why, you know, I, I mean, I, I've told people, you want a couple books on, on anarchism, you know, I mean, like I, I recommend, uh, you know, I recommend Max Stirner's The Ego on Its Own. You know, go ahead and read that. And then read Markets, Not Capitalism, you know, if you want to have something saucy within economics. Uh, but but baseline anarchism, that all goes to the ego on its own. It's been written. It's been covered. In many ways, it's done. It could just be updated to, like, sound uh, relevant to people today. So... Anyway, oh, we went all over the place with that. And I, I, I still have two other questions I want to get into. Maybe I'll just read this here. Uh, this is in reference to episode 313 of Sovereign Tech, where we talked about Neuralink. In fact, I think the episode title was the Neuralink debacle. If you haven't listened to that, I'll read it here. Hi, Brian. If I were to be scared of AI in the way Elon Musk promotes it, then I should be fucking paranoid and terrified of the Neuralink technology that he is promoting and trying to sell. It would probably make Skynet a blessing in disguise, a hard drive implanted in my head. What the fuck is going to be on that hard drive out of the box? And what kind of knowledge is going to be interfaced with my brain? Is it knowledge that I am able to understand and consent to beforehand? Will the contract read like a social media website's terms of service agreement? Which we just talked about that, right? The problems there, <laughs> the very real problems with all that. Uh, and then he goes on, I don't know, but it seems to me that Musk should be considered Mr. Snake Oil Salesman 2.0. It is nothing a person should aspire to unless you are being a prankster or a comedian with a punchline. I don't think he is either of them and the bullshit detector should be on high alert. Thank you, man of tomorrow. Your work promotes open and honest thinking of technology and I love it. Uh, well, thank you. Thank you for being a patron, of course. And thank you for, you know, your words and for, I, I really feel like you understood exactly what I was laying out about the concerns around Elon Musk and the concerns around the Neuralink technology as well. Um, I mean, we, we really should appreciate talking about privacy. We should appreciate Kind of like Kim Stanley Robinson, you know, the, the classic Kim Stanley Robinson quote about how, you know, you have in underneath your, your skull, you have a bubble universe that is your brain. You are not connected to everyone. It's not all connected, man. And, you know, like that's, that's, your, that's your private little world. Appreciate that. Keep it that way. Respect that. You know, I'm kind of reminded of, uh, you know, not, not that I, I give too much of a shit about this guy, but like Thomas Jefferson said, you know, I stand against, uh, anything that is a, a tyranny against the mind of man. And I feel like, you know, injecting technology from any Silicon Valley company right into your fucking brain is absolutely a tyranny against the mind of man, or at least has the potential to be because who holds the keys to that thing? Probably not you. So yeah, I, I mean, well said, like, uh, you know, I'm just glad to have someone else, you know, kind of reiterate. And I think to, to, to see my point. So I wanted to read that and get that out there. Um, okay. Let's go on to the, let's go on. Well, here's, here's another fun question. Let's just do a quick little fun question and then we'll get into our album of the week. We won't spend a ton of time on that. Um, but here we go. Hey man, tomorrow, new patron. And I really enjoy your sovereign top eights. I was wondering if you do an episode, uh, or if you do an episode on your top eight Android games at some point in the future, thanks and keep up the fun and informative work. Woo. All right. Um, so I'm not going to do a whole episode on this. I could do a sovereign top eight, but it'd be fairly short. Okay. Um, and I could do it for game talk, I suppose, but I have other things planned for game talk this month. So, you know, I don't want to fit it in there, but I want to address this. 
first off, I mean, let me, let me get this out of the way. And this is the reason I don't want to like, I wouldn't want to do a full top eight on the matter. Um, I, I think mobile gaming largely sucks. I mean, it really sucks. Like the control scheme sucks. In fact, hell, so Google Play Games, because if you're on Android, you're probably rocking uh, Google Play Games on your phone. Um, Google Play Games has a, uh, it has some built-in games. Like it has a version of Snake. That's kind of cute and sort of fun. And that works okay with swipe controls. And that's the main thing to understand here is you have to deal with touchscreen controls, which are wildly inefficient and ineffective, um, especially when you're doing like platformers or things like this. And they actually have a version of Pac-Man on there. In fact, it's a unique board that goes like on widescreen and it has Google, it says Google in the middle and all this. That That is, I mean, if you need to know as simple a game as Pac-Man is, if you need to know how horrible touchscreen controls are without spending a dime on any game, you can play that version of Pac-Man for free on your smartphone, developed by Google itself. Or at the very least, they were, you know, they, they put their label on it. And you'll see how touchscreen controls suck ass because you're not going to last very long in that game. It's horrible. It's horrible. I, I think it, it's almost a mistake and it's almost doing that. Like it's, it's a net negative for them to have that game there because it shows just how bad smartphone controls are. Now you can get Bluetooth controllers and do some other fancy tricks to where, um, to where, you know, they, they can interact with the takeover for the touchscreen controls, but that varies by game. Each game implements those abilities for external controllers, uh, differently, which is really annoying. Um, iOS is a little bit better about this because they have certain restrictions on, uh, game developers restrictions or not, I should say guidelines. Uh, they are restrictions too, because if you don't follow them, you're not getting in the play store or in the, the app store. But they do have restrictions on like, you know, button mapping and things like this uh, that that work out well for your average iOS user. So with iOS, it's a very different story. And of course, there's a lot of games that end up on iOS that, and great ones at that. Or, you know, for the platform, I should say they are great. Keep it within context. Any mobile game is in my is more or less, in my opinion, like automatically it's it's many tiers lower in quality than any game on any dedicated gaming platform or PC. Um, but for, you know, for the platform, sure, there's some great games on there that never make it to Android. So that's something to keep uh, keep in mind as well. Um, but yeah, I, I think mobile gaming just sucks. Uh, and it's always it's almost always a concession of, you know, you are giving up great control schemes, great controllers, great, uh, you know, gameplay to work on a touchscreen, unless you want to play something like Fruit Ninja or Angry Birds or whatever bullshit that you play that are complete time wasters. And that, that has no meaning for me. And that's a whole other issue with mobile gaming as well. In-app purchases are almost order of the day, uh, for just about every new game that comes out. And they are often, I mean, it's really ugly, you know, uh, what, I mean, it's just, it, I get the argument that greed can be good, but these are just downright greedy in all the worst ways. And, and it, it, everybody knows that there's a problem with IAP. Um, so for a more traditional, I don't like to use the word traditional. I, I'm glad retro gaming is like a term now because I'd hate to call myself a traditional gamer or even a classic gamer so much, but as a retro gamer, I guess I could, I could call myself, um, you know, none of that appeals to me. I want to have the content, maybe do some DLC here and there, but by and large, I want to have the content when I lay it down. Um, and you know, when I put the money down, I don't want it to have ads in it for me for free or anything. The picture I'm painting for you is that I actually don't game much on my Android platform. Okay. Or on the Android platform. Uh, but there are some games on there that are actually admittedly, some of them are, are pretty good. Uh, in fact, some of them are so good that, and so well designed that they've been ported to, uh, either consoles or even to PC. Uh, and when that happens, you know, you got a great game on your hand, but here's the funny thing. It's always infinitely better gameplay wise to play it on the PC or on the dedicated platform, like say switch or 3ds or something like that, than it is on the mobile device, like every single time. And, and the control schemes just prove it, you know, uh, you know, because you can actually use a, you know, an Xbox controller or, you know, whatever, I don't know, whatever you want to plug into your USB port. So anyway, that said, 99.9999999999% of games on 
mobile platforms, in my opinion, suck and are not worth playing. Uh, also, because a lot of these games don't have an ending, like because they want those, they want con- you know continual money, so they keep giving you in-app purchases, and then you know they're like endless. And I think there there's whole huge issues as far as mentality and what that does to your brain um, that I, I won't even get into. Um, I like games to have a, a story and have them end. One of my favorite game genres is the JRPG, right? Japanese role-playing games, because they have a very set beginning and end. And I enjoy that, getting that nice, complete story. So this does come down to taste, but then that's the reality for, honestly, a lot of uh, uh, top eight, top tens, top five, top three lists that you get out there. So anyway, all of that said, I will give you a bit of a top eight, okay, if you want to check these out, if you have a new Android phone, perhaps, or tablet or something that you want to, or maybe a Chromebook, and you want to try and rock some of these out, hey, go for it. Um, So number one, and number one and number two are actually ones that could both tie up for number one. Um, And they they are games that I install pretty much instantly. And in fact, if I have a, if I have a low storage space on the phone, uh, like from the get go, when I get it, say like a Android go phone or something like that, I will, these are ones, they're like the only ones that I'll install. Uh, so I'll go with number one, which is a more traditional game as it were, isn't like you're playing something And this. Actually, they finally implemented some degree of a story into it, which was pretty cool. And, uh, the first one is Riptide GP Renegade. Uh, this is the third game in this series, which has been a wildly popular series by a company called vector unit. Um, and it is a game where you buy it and I mean, you can buy other things within it, but basically when you put the money down for it, you get the game and you can go through the entire game without having to buy anything else. That's the way to do gaming, in my opinion, mobile or otherwise. Uh, but you know, we're in this world where that's not always the case. I mean, I'm a game developer. I know what I like. I'm a game player. I know what I like, but that's not, I guess other people are fine with hashing out thousands of dollars on some Simpsons game, whatever. So anyway, Riptide GP Renegade. This is a, if you remember, uh, well, let's see, like Wave Racer from the classic or, you know, from the older Nintendo days. Uh, it is a jet ski game and plays very much like, um, oh, what was that game from Midway uh, in the arcades? Hydro Thunder. Plays like Hydro Thunder, but it's jet skis. And it is so much fun. It is so intense. Um, I do change the control scheme. You can use the accelerometer. I turn that off instantly. The game does... The, the, the control scheme that they came up with is pretty brilliant for how it works with touchscreens. Of course, the one thing you don't have to worry about is acceleration. It accelerates for you. Uh, and that's like the number one thing that would have any kind of real bearing on how you, uh, you know, on, on like some degree of touch precision on controller precision. So they, they knock that part out. So this works pretty well for a touchscreen. Um, but you can get Riptide GP Renegade. You can get it on Steam. You can get it for your PC. And as soon as you're using an actual analog stick and everything, I mean, you just instantly realize, oh man, no, this game belongs on a console. This game belongs with a good controller in your hands. Uh, so I actually play it way more on, uh, you know, on my you know, on an actual PC than I do on a mobile platform, but it does work on a mobile platform and it, the graphics are gorgeous. I mean, it's easily one of the most beautiful games available, uh, on, on any mobile platform. Um, but yeah, Riptide GP Renegade. I mean, it's a racing game, you know, jet skis, but it works. Um, next one. In fact, again, these, these two could have tied for number one. Uh, the next one is called Plague Inc. And this is a very, very simple game. But the basic idea is you are a virus and you need to wipe out humanity and you are constantly programming yourself to become more and more deadly. Uh, it is, it's a you know bit of a puzzler and, you know, has some degree of randomosity going on in the background, some degree of chance, but a lot of fun. And all you got to do is just go, it's by a company called Endemic. In fact, they just had a new game come out called Rebel Inc., uh, which is sort of a kind of a looks kind of like a real-time strategy. It's sort of like Plague Inc., but instead it's with armies. 
Um, I played it for a minute just because I'm curious what the developers of such a brilliant game as Plague Inc. Uh, you know, would come up with. And uh, it's pretty slick for what it is, but keep in mind what it is. In fact, it's kind of weird. They come up with a label for, for Rebel Inc. If this came up on Plague Inc., I'd be terrified. But for Rebel Inc., you know, which has actual armies and everything, they came up and said, oh, you know, we, we tried, we know this game is dealing with mature situations, that being war. That's a nice label to put out there. You don't get that much from game uh, developers. But then they said, we worked with governments to make this as realistic as possible. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> you know, and, and that's if they did that for Plague Inc., which is about wiping out humanity with a virus, and it said, oh yeah, we worked with governments to make this as realistic as possible, I'd be terrified, right? <laughs> so uh, anyway, but Plague Inc. is, well, when you play it, you'll realize it's so simple, and you could play it without thinking much. You could play it while listening to a podcast. You can kind of, it's not exactly mindless, but you can kind of be mindless about it. And uh, anyway, it, it's, I know you think it wouldn't be fun, but it surprisingly is. You just have to try it to try it out. Uh, the next one is Wayward Souls. I guess I'll put this in number three. I'm not really doing them in any special order except for those first two. Wayward Souls is very much like a, a Zelda game. Uh, it feels like, uh, you know, Link to the Past and those kinds of games. Very well done. You pay for it once. There's not a bunch of IAP bullshit, really. Uh, and, you know, it, it, it reminds me a lot of, like, the Golden Sun games from the Game Boy Advance. Uh, so a lot of fun there. Do check that out. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll go through this kind of quick. Uh, number four is going to be Hook. Hook is a puzzler um, that has to do with these various hooks that work... Uh, kind of like a pendulum at points and you have to figure out how to make all these different things intersect and connect. Uh, but it's a very interesting puzzle game uh, that I really, really enjoy. In fact, Steve Gibson of the security now podcast, uh, my favorite podcast in the world. He's the one that actually told me about that. So if you want to check that one out, that's worthwhile. Um, number five, this is where you get into weird territory. So a lot of games, especially a lot of older games, retro games have been emulated uh, to without an emulator, like or they've been ported, I should say, because they don't use an emulator. They've been ported to mobile platforms. Like most of the older Final Fantasy games are available on mobile platforms. As well, the series that I actually like more than I like Final Fantasy, which is Dragon Quest, or what used to be known as Dragon Warrior back in the late 80s, early 90s, uh, Dragon Quest games have been have more have all been ported to mobile platforms. You can get any of these and you're going to have a great time. Um, but the nice thing is, is that a couple of rarities that had only come to the United States uh, maybe about a decade ago when they were released for the Nintendo DS were uh, Dragon Quest V and Dragon Quest VI. And these are, both of those are really great. Uh, but Dragon Quest V, I really enjoy. In fact, Dragon Quest V was one of the first games I remember where, um, actually it might be the first game where there's a, there's a birth that goes on there. And, you know, it's very implicit that sex is happening and all this. It's, it's really, it's an interesting game. One of the better Dragon Quest games out there. Um, I think it's Hand of the Heavenly Bride is Dragon Quest V. I don't think that's Dragon Quest VI, but, Anyway, check out Dragon Quest V. Uh, Dragon Quest IV also is really well done. It's all of the updated versions that were done for the DS that are available there. So really, again, anything you get within the series is going to be pretty good. If you get into the later numbers, and they don't have Dragon Quest IX, which is one of the greatest Dragon Quest games of all time, when you get into the later numbers, they start removing content from the updated versions that had come out because they released them for PlayStation or PlayStation 2, and there's a bunch of like cutscenes and everything. And to keep the file size down uh, for mobile platforms, which you know where storage is a premium, um, they cut a lot of that out. So I would steer clear of the later games, but anyone between one and six of Dragon Quest, you're going to have a great time. So I'll put that, you know, label that there. Uh, number six, we'll go with Part Time UFO. This is interesting because this is a game by. Hell Laboratories. Hell Laboratories is the company that made Kirby, or is the development team that made Kirby under Nintendo. And this is not a Kirby game, but it's by the people that made Kirby. And Kirby's one of my favorite characters, uh, Nintendo characters of all time. Uh, in fact, we have uh, Kirby's Extra Epic Yarn coming out for the 3DS on March 8th. We now know about that. That's exciting. Um, so part-time UFO, you're this little UFO, and you kind of have to like do these little jobs and you're carrying stuff around and everything and that sways and there's some physics mechanics to it. It's, it's really, it, it's a cute game and a lot of fun as only hell laboratories can do. If you're a player of the Kirby games, you know exactly what I mean. So this is one where it's only on mobile platforms. I'm shocked that this did not get released for the 3DS. It really should and still could. And I would support them if they did and I'd buy it again. Um, but part-time UFO, uh, that's, that's an easy, easy one. And it's another great game where there's like no IAP. You 
hash out the four or five bucks, whatever, right out of the gate, and you've got the complete game. That's how you do business. I love that. Uh, so part-time UFO is a winner. Uh, next one, we'll go with number seven. That's Mule Returns, and Mule is an acronym, M.U.L.E. This is, you know, I'll tell you, if you're an ANCAP, this is your game because it's all economics. <laughs> it's all like supply, supply chains and economics and everything. But you're on an alien planet and you have these robotic mules and uh, you do all of this different. Anyway, mule is a classic game. Okay. It's a classic game from like, I mean, they had a version for the Nintendo. I think there might've been a version on the Commodore 64. It's been all over the place. Uh, I love that game. And they did an updated version that plays very well. Uh, again, it's one of those situations where you buy it once and you pretty much have everything. Um, and yeah, the Android version for that is, is just dynamite. Uh, so Mule Returns, it's an updated version of Mule. They didn't do a whole lot otherwise uh, to it to change the gameplay, but the gameplay was perfect, you know, 20 years ago. So there's nothing really to update. Uh, but if you don't know about Mule, just read about it because it's, it's an incredible game, very unique. Uh, nothing else quite like it. So I'm glad that it's back. And Mule is one where, yeah, it was available on the Nintendo, but it's not something where the controls are like, you know, really time sensitive or precision sensitive. So it works on a mobile platform in this sense. Uh, number eight, we'll, we'll finish this off, uh, Galaxy on Fire 2 HD. So Galaxy on Fire is like Wing Commander for mobile platforms, okay? And it's about the closest you're going to get to Wing Commander. In fact, I think it's like the closest thing to Wing Commander you can get just about anywhere. Uh, and this is another game. So you're flying around in a Starfighter, and you're doing various trades. You buy stuff and all this. There's some IAP involved, but it's IAP that operates more like expansion packs than anything else. So I think it's worthwhile. Um, this is a game that's also available on Steam and that you can play there. And if you play it on Steam, it's infinitely better because the control the control scheme is great. Uh, even though the targeting system, which is where the touchscreen would get kind of weird, uh, they, they automated that fairly well. And there have been future entries in the Galaxy on Fire game, but I think they've only been re released on iOS, unfortunately. Uh, but I Galaxy on Fire 2 is definitely in the high list of games that I install pretty quickly because you can kind of keep playing it. Even though it does have a storyline and all that, you can keep rocking it. And it's, it's a lot of fun. Uh, so if you're looking for, you know, some kind of like space opera, uh, that kind of game to play on your Android device. Galaxy on Fire 2, in my opinion, is probably the best out there for that and rarer in that. Like, it, there, there aren't many, uh, but this that's one. And, and again, you can buy it and you're kind of done. Um, so I will mention that. So I use some emulators on uh, on my, you know, on my Android phone. And one of my favorites is My Old Boy, which My Old Boy uh, gives you, uh, this allows you to play uh, Game Boy games. And like Pokemon games, you can actually get away pretty well with touchscreen controls because it'll bring up the controls right on the screen and everything. And in fact, because, you know, a smartphone is a tall screen, you know, 16 by nine or whatever they make them now. Now, what are they? 11 by nine now? Anyway, because of that, it actually looks like a Game Boy where you have the buttons down at the bottom, op you know, operated by the touchscreen. And then at the top, you can have that, you know, that, that little simple four by three or that square screen that Game Boys have always had. Uh, so it works very well for that, but not every game because there's platformers on Game Boy that of course don't work at all, or that the controls are just too, you know, too clunky uh, to, or imprecise to work very well. So, but if you play like the Pokemon games or some other games that don't require like really timing and precision with controls, your smartphone can be a great Game Boy. That's, you know, and I think Nintendo actually knows that. And they did that patent recently where there's like a Game Boy case for phones where maybe that's something that they were going to look into doing because just design wise, it can become a really great Game Boy. So I use my old boy uh, for that. But anyway, that's that's the extent of my gaming. On, I mean, there's some other games out there like Aralon and some other ones that were sort of interesting. But mobile gaming is so hampered by terrible controls and or inefficient controls often enough and all the IAP and like the endless gaming. I just, I get sick of it. So, all right, we're, uh, we're actually, I'm shocked. We're running a little bit long here. Uh, so I want to, let's get to our, uh, our album of the week. Album of the week is from a band called Avantasia. Avantasia is actually a super group that has, will have a lot of different collaborators depending upon their album, but they've just had their eighth full, full album. Uh, it's coming out technically on February 15th, 2019. It's called Moonglow. Uh, for those that don't know, this is headed by, uh, Tobias Samet, who is the, he's the lead singer from Ed Guy, 
which is a German outfit, a German power metal outfit that's been around since like the nineties. And they're pretty solid. Like they're, they're, they're good. Tobias Samet is definitely has a lot of talent. Um, Moonglow is, I don't know if I'd say it's like their best album that they've ever done, but it, it's good. It's some good power metal, you know, real rock opera kind of stuff. And there is, I mean, they work with a lot of, or, you know, Tobias works with a lot of people on this, particularly, uh, he does work with Jeff Tate of Queensryche fame. And there's the song Invincible that might be the best song on there. There's another one that's the title track Moonglow, which he does with uh, Candace Knight that is enjoyable, but yeah, there's a lot to like here. Good 12 tracks um, that I think are a lot of fun. But the there's there's Invincible and Alchemy. Both feature Jeff Tate. And actually, the, the Piper at the Gates of Dawn, I think, also has some Tate uh, work within it from Jeff Tate. And and all worth it. If you're a Queensryche fan, this is something to definitely check out. Um, but anyway, it's your standard kind of, you know, power metal flair or, you know, fair with, uh, with some flair, uh, operatic flair at that. And really, you know, really high production. I mean, it's, it's not like telling a full story, but each song is really, is epic, even for power metal. It's, it's, it has, <laughs> if power metal could be more epic, Avantasia, Avantasia will often uh, deliver on that. So anyway, check out Avantasia Moonglow. Uh, it's, it's fun. I mean, you know, I'm not going to say it's, it's nowhere near like, uh, what, beast in black put out last week it's not even remotely close to that good but it's pretty good you know so i mean it's something to enjoy so if you like avantasia's previous work you'll definitely enjoy this one so check out moon glow by avantasia again officially comes out for february 15th 2019 all right well anyway that's going to wrap it up for our wednesday q a for sovereign tech and uh thank you all to everyone to all the patrons out there uh love having you and you know keep sending in all of that feedback i love that feedback or if you have questions or whatever you know things that we can discuss i'm all for that we got a good long discussion here you know a couple of great really well thought out responses to things that we've talked about. I appreciate the patron, you know, really responding about the, the ANCAP position and Facebook. Uh, that was really interesting to get into. Um, and by and large, I, I, you know, like I said, I get his point and, and I see where he's coming from and I, you know, well, anyway, that's that. So we'll wrap this baby up and I will see all of you woo, on the other side. <laughs>